welcome to episode 166 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday 6th of August 2017. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at thefredcast.com. I'm the host and producer of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. For show notes, links, and other information, simply go to our website at the-spokesman.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. Hi, I'm Carlton Reed of bikebiz.com, and you are listening to the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast, episode 100. And 66. And quite a few of the previous episodes have been spokesman specials. I did one on Pashley. I did a wonderful one on uh, Joe Breeze and Charlie Kelly actually coming round to my house in in Newcastle upon Tyne in the UK. Uh, Two of the the, the grandfathers of mountain biking. Uh, But we haven't had the usual suspects on the show for a wee while because of all sorts of different reasons and I am very very happy to say we have got some uh, very much suspect people on the the show uh, this time including a voice which we haven't had on for a while and we've also got a newbie and I'm going to bring in the newbie first and that newbie knows uh, David our oldie and the newbie is Richard Wittenberg and Richard tell people how long you've been in the industry and what exactly you're doing now how long have i been in the industry fading away (laughs) (laughs) well uh i I started actually in industry at 14 when i started pushing a broom in a bike shop and i wanted a job so i could buy a new bike so that was uh well i'm not going to put a number of years on it because it'll it'll date me but, um, 63, I think, isn't it? 63? Uh, yeah, close, close. <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that's kind of how long I've known David, actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's been 63 years. That may but, be uh, true. Mm-hmm. So, David, when did we meet? Wasn't it when you were at Tioga or something? Yeah, I think I think probably when I was at... Hi, everybody, it's David. Yeah, um, got to mention. Um, yeah, I think it was when I was at Tioga, um, which would have... Oh, boy, I don't want to say the date, but it was... Um, it was uh, actually, I think I started working for Tioga before I married my wife, and I've been married to her forever. So, yeah, it's been a long time. And you were in Los Angeles, and I was in Los Angeles, and now neither of us are there. Mm-hmm. That's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I, I've been in the industry for, for quite a while, and I've been very, very fortunate to work for lots of different companies and do lots of different things uh, within the within the industry. And currently I am the managing director for Factor Bicycles, which uh, though it seems like an overnight success is really a company that's uh, been brought together from uh, a manufacturing base uh, led by the uh, man by the name of Rob Gatellis and Rob 
has been making frames in Asia for people like Cervelo and Canyon and Santa Cruz and Parley and the list of the A list of of you know road racing and and mountain bike carbon frames and the uh, Factor brand, which was started by BF1 Systems and John Bailey as a more or less a an engineering exercise, and we brought the two together and decided to spend the last 18 months sponsoring uh, Pro Continental and World Tour teams. And now that we've sort of mastered making high-end racing bicycles for teams, we've decided we're actually going to start selling things to the public. So my charge is to help build out that sales and marketing pipeline throughout the world. And based in Richard, I, I, I want to ask you a question. There, there was a time when, when building, but when what you said, building frames in Asia was not seen as, um, as, 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 as something that high end brands would do. Um, when did that change? And, and clearly it did when you talk about the brands that you have, but when did that change and, and why are our high-end brands and why should consumers now be so comfortable with, and by the way, I'm writing a high-end brand made in Asia, but why should people be so comfortable and when did that change? Um, it really came about with the move into carbon fiber. So, uh, you know, Cannondale made a great uh, contribution to the industry when they moved us away from steel into aluminum. But then when you started moving into the carbon fiber realm, it was not a welding technology. It was uh, more almost like making a fine suit than it was uh, welding some tubes together. Uh, and it's exceptionally labor intensive. So there was just, especially in a monocoque frame, once it goes into the mold and then it comes out of the mold and then it has to be sanded and prepped and painted. And, and, the, sh the reality of it is that to do those processes in the Western world with the labor rates where they were, the, the frame would be just out of this world expensive. And really what happened is Asia adopted carbon fiber technology and sporting goods far ahead of anybody else. So there was just an, a level of expertise and knowledge that's been there for 20 years. And... You know, it, I sort of get a little upset with people when they look at something and say, oh, you know, well, it's European, it should be this, or it's American, it should be that. The reality is there are some incredibly talented people that work in our factory in Jamin, China, China, and there are some incredible engineers that work for us in uh, Taiwan, and we have incredible people that work with us in the United States, and we have incredible people that work with us in the UK, and, you know, it's not country specific and you know if you if you tore the paint away from most of your high-end brands that are made in europe um they're actually made in asia just because of the knowledge base and the cost of doing it there you can put more time and energy and handwork into a bike and coming out of asia than you can out of the western world just because you can afford to spend more man hours doing it the right way so, so it's not too dissimilar to the designed in California, made in China mark on the back of a lot of our phones. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, you summarized it much better than I could, but, uh, what, yeah, what, 
Yeah, well, because exactly. I run into the same thing in my day job. I mean, everybody knows that I've got a day job completely outside the business, and and you know we're making products in in Belgium and 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 Thailand and and uh, in Japan and in the Czech Republic, and so I, I hear what you're saying. Prior to Factor, you were at Ridley. Um, were you doing sort of similar things? Right, right. Everybody thinks Ridley, Belgium. Were you doing sort of the same things there? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the last 10 to 12 years of my career has very much been helping brands on, I, I, I'm a, I'm a missionary, you know, they hire me to do a job. I go in there and I do it and I move on. And, uh, Ridley, I came on board to really help them come into the United States market and help, uh, develop their international, uh, sales and distribution strategy. So, um, that was four years of my life and, it was a, a great experience working for a Belgian brand, and um, I got to do a lot of nice riding on cobbles. Which, you know, if nobody's, if you haven't ridden on cobbles yet, yeah, they're kind of fun the first two or three times you do it. But when they're on every training ride and you're trying to hold a wheel of somebody and it's wet, it'll scare the you know what out of you. <laughs> so, okay. so what's next hey, for Carl, Factor, right? You've, you've, Carl, you've been doing, you, you've Carl, been doing the. the what happened? Go I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you in in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to ask one more question. One more question from David. <laughs> sorry, because I find this stuff fascinating, and I ho- hopefully the listeners will too. But but sorry, Jim, clearly you don't. Um, by the way, that's Jim <laughs> no, Moss. Great. He's from RecreationLaw.com. I seriously love it. It's just hilarious that all of a sudden David's back for the first time in six months and took over the show. And then you know, once David, you back, before, once you get back in the saddle, you know how that goes. David, let's that's let's also bring. Let's, by the way, that's founders' rights. Let's bring Donna in here before she thinks that we've totally forgotten about her. So let's get everybody no, on the show. I'm just, lis- I'm just listening like a fan. <laughs> Hi there, Donna. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? We're good too. So we will we will split this up in a I'm second. I'm very confused though. There's like two hosts. I know. No, 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 no. no I just can ask one more question. Then I'm gonna fade back into my. And my no, David. Call. I want to first of all introduce you, David. Oh, who boy. are you? We haven't heard you for so long. You can't just come in like this and just start. You've got to say who you are. Hi everybody. I'm David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. How's that? Wow. Now you can do stuff. He did that all in one breath too, didn't he? So now, what's your final question, David? Enjoy the ride. I didn't tell them to hammer a little bit harder. All my catchphrases. Richard, quick question. You've been sponsoring all these teams, and that's something that we're going to segue into in a moment. Um, What have you learned, and and how will that help um, in your – as you move more into, you know, the consumer space, you know, actually making this a profit deal? Um, Wow. Um, sorry guys, this is going to take a while. Um, no pressure. Right. <laughs> no know. pressure at all, huh? Um, so, uh, you know, the, the age old question, and this is one that, that, that came up when I was when I was at Candale and it certainly comes up here at factor is, you know, they, I keep hearing, so Richard is sponsoring a pro tour team, or I should say world tour team worth it. And I, I think the answer to that question is, for us at Factor, it is who we are. Um, we were very much developed for racing by racers. Baden Cook and Rob Gatellos are both ex-professional cyclists. 
And the brand was really developed because of this passion for racing. And it's, it would be disingenuous for us to you know, not be supporting that end of the sport because it meant so much to us. Um, and it really is, um, sort of our, 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 our soul is about making, you know, super top of the pyramid type of product. And it's really hard for us as competitively oriented cyclists to not be on the world tour. Um, you know, the analogy we use is, you know, Enzo Ferrari created Ferrari road going cars because he had this racing habit he had to fund. And I would say that factor very much falls in those, those same footsteps and that same sort of thought methodology. Um, but you know, for a little company like us sponsoring AG2R is a huge risk. It's a lot of money. The fact is, is we get huge feedback from the team to make the product better. And this is also what we used at Ridley for was there was a huge amount of feedback coming back from the team. But when you have a tour like we did, and you got to witness when you were there, right, David? Um, uh, yes, I did. We'll get to that. Right. And so, you know, for, for us as a relatively new brand, I can't think of any better way to let people know who we are, where we are, and what we do um, without that world tour team. Hmm. Richard, uh, uh, my turn for a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I, the I, world just on the publication of the of the go ahead i i, I rode the bike at uh at park city at uh, dia valley at the at the press camp event and it was a stunning bike to ride now just going backwards a little bit because you you talked a wee bit about the the history of it um but it was a british company to begin with but rob is an american so and you're sponsoring a french team so internationally, it's a hybrid. Can can you say it's an American company? Is it a British company? How do you explain it to, to or how are you going to be explaining it to people going forward? Where is this company? I, I don't know. Anybody, does anybody in the, in the room see, right, we got you know, some smart people here. How would you suggest we do it? Um, you know, I, we, we look at it as many people. We are a brand without a country. We have a certainly a British sensibility and aspect, which is very different than, let's say, an Italian brand. Um, we certainly have a bit more of an American marketing and sales strategy and commitment to customer service. So one of the element factors is not only the product, but the experience that the consumer is going to get around the brand. And that comes very, very much from being an American. And believe me, Americans in terms of customer service are the most Mm. particular in the world or none. Um, so I think that brings us to best in class there. And, you know, really the, the Rob is not only an American, but he lives in Taiwan. Mm. So he is, he's bringing sort of that manufacturing expertise. So I don't think you can really put a country on us. You know, it's, it's, we are the blending and, and the melting pot of the bicycle industry, just like, um, you know, the U.S. was in the 30s. Everybody came in and, you know, what country were you from? And the answer was, yeah, I was from here, but I'm an American now. And um, hopefully we can get back to that. But that's a whole political discussion we're not going to get into right now. Sure. Um, so that's how I answer your question. Okay. So let's okay, go. And- can I just can I hmm. just say one thing? 
There is now a second person here that is equating cycling with racing, like car racing. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> you, you, you know, Donna, there is a saying, sell on, uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Sell on Monday. Mm. See? And oh, can... we are going to get along so well. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> There's just a little bit <laughs> No, I even got Tim to write about NASCAR this week. If you guys saw one of his posts, he posted about NASCAR. So mm -hmm. that's okay. That's all. I'm done now. <laughs> let's let's segue into uh, the AGTR uh, jolly, the the nice day that you had, David. Where did you get that day from? How did you how did yes, you get well, such okay. a fantastic uh, treat? Well, it looked at lovely. Of, at the end of the day, it's because of you, Carlton. No. Because I, I went to pick you up for, for breakfast. Oh, yeah, true. And uh, there was my friend Richard who, who literally – Richard and I have been in the same international airport halfway across the world <laughs> and missed each other like five times. Mm -hmm. And so to see Richard standing there was just, was just awesome. And then I happened to mention, oh, yeah, you know, I'm on my way over to Europe for my day job. And he goes, oh, well, you know, we sponsor a team. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So long story short – um, Richard and a couple of his, um, his guys uh, were able to get me passes for stage 15 of the Tour de France, um, in Le Puy en Belay, France, which if you've never been, if you've never heard of this town is the most delightful and, and obviously, right, this is one of the reasons the Tour de France exists. Mm. It's one of the most delightful places I've ever been. And I could have spent days just exploring this town. Mm. Um, had, had a wonderful day. So, so was given a wristband, um, was able to be in one of what they call the Tour de France Tribunes, which are those sort of multi-level yellow, they're vehicles, believe it or not, um, grandstand sort of looking things just within the first, the last hundred meters of the finish line, uh, at every tour. So I was somewhere between hundred meters and 75 meters from the finish line. And, um, before that, I had the opportunity to just sort of walk around town, and and it's interesting, right? As we speak, the tour of Utah is going on, um, and if you if you asked the average Utahn on the street, even somebody who's even a cyclist riding around Park City, if if you ask them about the tour of Utah or do you know what sporting event is going on, I'm going to tell you right now, the vast majority of them would have no idea. Hmm. Whereas. When the Tour de France comes through a town in France, even when it comes through a town in Yorkshire, the entire town is there. The entire town is motivated for the race. They're all focused on it. Every shop window uh, is decorated for it. Uh, every street has, has yellow and polka dot and white and green jerseys everywhere. It is all consuming. And to, to me, as a cyclist, uh, and as a fan of the sport, to see that um, kind of enthusiasm just from your average everyday French person is wonderful. Um, it, frankly, it goes beyond the hysteria here in the states around the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's 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 a really really wonderful thing. Um, now back up a little bit to that morning. I wake up in my hotel. I go to breakfast. I'm sitting there having my amazing European coffee as always. And in walk uh, Paul, Bur Paul Burmeister, uh, Bob Roll, and, of course, our good friend Yenzi. 
And um, what was a couple things that were interesting to me. First of all, um, they're just as exhausted as every fan and every racer because they're doing the same thing everybody else is doing, obviously, which is, you know, going to a town, doing their job, then staying up at late, driving to the next town and then getting up early and doing it all over again. The other thing that was interesting is if you watched the the coverage on TV, um, they are uh, they every day they they choose who they think is going to win the stage, and it seems kind of corny and it seems kind of um, uh, contrived just for 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 the fans. These guys care. They were sitting there comparing how many points they each have and who they think is going to win the final <laughs> competition at the end, which was fascinating to me. Then. You know, Lance Armstrong has been doing a podcast, as we've talked about here on the show. Jens brought up the fact that I guess Yen, uh, Lance had said something about Jens on his show and about how, I guess, Lance doesn't like hearing Jens on the show. And after a time, um, uh, Paul and Bob left. And I said, Jens, don't listen to Lance. And we had this wonderful conversation after that. <laughs> um and 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 he was really he was really down about the fact that that, that Lance had sort of um, insulted him on his podcast. And I said, you know, Jens, I think you do a great job. And, I, you know, everybody I talk to loves having hearing you on the show. And I don't know, hopefully that helped a little bit. Mm. Um, the day was great. Um, 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 my friends in Belgium, of course, sent me an email and said, I don't understand why you would stand there so long to watch a Dutchman win a stage, but that's, you know, <laughs> the, the Belgians and the Dutch. Um, I'll tell you as regards AG2R, um, the French were going absolutely crazy for Roman Bardet. Uh, the success that he saw, uh, he saw in the tour um, energized the French fans in a way that was similar to the way that I saw the British fans being energized about Cav mm. uh, when I saw the tour in Yorkshire. And so, for, for Richard, for you guys and for the team, uh, that was amazing. Uh, the French were just going crazy for him. There were signs everywhere. I saw. I was counting like 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 Jim does when he goes to Interbike during the consumer show and he counts consumer badges. Um, I was counting AG2R. Uh, t-shirts and jerseys and there were far more of those that day on stage 15 than there were of any other team and it's clearly because it, it was that in the polka dot jersey um, but it was it was clearly because of Roman Bardet um, whether that translates into sales for you guys Richard or not um, clearly the French are hungry for another Frenchman to win the tour well they're, they're really hungry I, I think everybody's hungry for a really good story, right? We all turn it, tune in to, to watch this because it's the epic battle played out on TV. And I think, you know, for us, okay, yeah, it would have been great if Bardet won. But the fact that, number one, I think he held himself so professionally throughout the entire race, never whining, never complaining, telling it how it was. I mean, clearly turning himself inside out to do what he was, did. There was just such a great tension and drama. So I've been married for 20 years. My wife has nothing to do with cycling, doesn't care about it, gets sick and tired of all my friends coming over and talking about it. It's amazing we're still <laughs> married. Um, it sounds like, Donna, you and my wife could get along very well. Um, and oh, no, I, I love cycling. <laughs> Talk about I hear racing. about it 
I hear about it every day <laughs> in and, my uh, house. You know, even she was turning it on to kind of watch the drama that was unfolding, and that's really what it is. It's 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 these these modern day gladiators turning themselves inside out and creating a spectacle for all of us to to dream about, and we just love watching it. And thank God that time gaps were so so tight because it just made it that much more exciting for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, what was what was it, you talked about him turning himself inside out when he when there was that that climb at the end of the time trial in Marseille. Um, and he was really struggling to get up that climb. He was just, he was out of gas and I, I was, I was cheering for him. And at the same time I was thinking, I know exactly what that feels like. Um, mm-hmm. and I think most cyclists watching did, it was, it was brutal watching him try to make it up that climb. Um, and yet he did hold his own. And so, you know, kudos to him. And, and, and as I said, hopefully, hopefully that translates into more fans for the team and, and maybe, maybe even more sales for you guys in the future, but thank you publicly for, for, for allowing me that opportunity. It was a spectacular day. And, and I got to tell you whether you have the opportunity that was afforded me or whether you don't go into a stage of a cycling race. If you're a cycling fan, don't pass up the opportunity. It doesn't matter whether it's the tour of Utah or the tour of Fresno. I mean, go. Or how about the Colorado classic? Nicely done. Yeah. So just- oh, but can I say one thing? Can I say one thing before we say mm, go for it, Donna? If your friend Jens is listening, please tell him not to pay attention to the opinion of one bully. He uh, did a great job. He got he got hired because of his talent. He got hired because people thought he would relate well to an audience. One person does not make an audience. That's all. Uh, that's mm-hmm. essentially what I told him. And, and, and I, and I, and I said, look, you know, they hired you because of your popularity. They hired you because they felt that your opinion mattered. And I sort of parenthetically added, and because, you know, there's, there's no controversy around you. And I got a little (laughs) smile for that. So, (laughs) okay. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Segway. Well, it's just to bring Jim in here that we've hardly heard from. So, Jim, you're going to go to one of these races where you're going to get a, a behind-the-scenes access. So tell us a little bit about uh, the Colorado Classic, which is coming up. Jim Jim, who? <laughs> the guy that's not been introduced yet? Well, I almost... Jim who keeps us out of jail, Jim. <laughs> Excuse me, not only did I introduce you, but I said recreationlaw.com. Yeah. Oh, it was an accident, I, you know. I did, I heard uh, that. <laughs> I tell you, David comes back and all of a sudden we lose everything as far as structure and organization. And you know how that really makes the UK section mad. So, uh, <laughs> Hi, folks. Uh, yeah, we have a new type of bicycle race, as being how it's advertised, coming to Colorado. USA Pro Challenge died a couple of years ago, ran out of money because the, the uh, owners slash sponsors slash uh, in, in investment group uh, has some issues. And so Ken Gart had rounded up a lot of people, uh, put in a lot of money, and created a bicycle race that took the best of the USA Pro Challenge and added a lot of new ideas. Uh, it's called the Colorado Classic. Uh, when, you, when you click on that, though, what you see is Velorama, Colorado. Um, they, they are having a race in Colorado Springs, a race in Breckenridge, um, which were the biggest uh, turnouts 
for the USA Pro Challenge outside of Denver and two races in uh, Denver, Saturday and Sunday. The two races in Denver then are going through Col- uh, Golden and part of uh, Southern Boulder, which is the biggest area for cycling in the United States, uh, or at least in Colorado and yeah, in the United States. Who cares? Um, and then at the end of uh, the three nights of racing, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there's a great big party, and they're charging you to get into the party. Uh, in fact, it, it's really hard to see. Is there a bicycle race or is there a cycling party going on? Um, but it should be interesting. You know, They did not spend the money to bring in the big international teams, Cannondale and um, uh, 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 BMC are going to be there. They're the big teams. Uh, but everything else is a is a continental team, um, but it looks like it's going to turn out to be something quite interesting. So, Jim, when when is it on? It starts this coming Thursday, August the tenth. Um, and it's it's women's that, and men's racing, yeah. Oh, that's right. There are there's a couple women's races which should be uh, pretty good. The women's the women's uh, group is actually sort of a little bit more powerful than the men's group in a couple cases. Um, uh, but uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. Do you know? Uh, we're looking forward. It's racing back in Colorado, so. Do you know whether the purses are the same for the men's and women's I races? I haven't got. I haven't. Oh heavens, no! Are you kidding? I haven't even seen the purses yet. But I'm going to make that statement. I mean, of all the people in the world that might come close to that, Ken Ken Gart would try and pull it off. But I I just don't see it. The women's races are starting at ten in the morning or so. Uh, two or three hours, two hours ahead of the men's races. Mm. Uh, they're not as long. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's it's still second-class racing and uh, cycle racing. So. I don't know if you've seen, but the, the Trek, the World Championships for the, the cyclocross. So Trek are sponsoring that, and they've made sure that the purses are equal. So if, if Trek can do it, then surely all companies who are sponsoring these things can do it. Um, yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think that the women's races can be more exciting. Uh, when the USA Pro Challenge brought them in, uh, there was as, I mean, nobody, the, 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 the crowds for the women's race were just the same here in Colorado as the crowds for the men's race. And I think the cheering is a lot more because there was a whole segment of people who go to the race because their spouse goes to the race who were there that all of a sudden went, wow, women are racing and cycling. Um, and this is pretty cool. I can support this rather than just watching my spouse, who is normally male, as I'm referring to them, go out and race. Hmm. So it was it was pretty neat. Well, Jim, you have a really good time there. And report back, because you're going uh, um, as, a, as a, a credentialed journalist, yeah? Yes, I'm representing the spokesman.com. Yeah. yeah. Which Great. you forgot about me today, but other than that, it's really <laughs> great. Group, so. Yeah, you know that guy who doesn't get introduced to, like, you know, this part of the show? I'm that guy. <laughs> Jim, let me ask you a question. The, um, Shoot. The USA Pro Challenge got a ton of, of, of media and public attention. Um, from the time it was announced, I think you and I were both standing there when it was announced at Interbike. Yep, yep. Through to when it was over. This this race has, you know, I mean, it's a lot of the same teams that are here at the Tour of Utah right now. Um, but I don't know that it's getting as much attention as the USA Pro Challenge. What gives? 
Well, I, I'm not 100% sure yet, and that's one of the things I'd like to find out. I had to send, I sent five different emails over four and a half months before I finally got a response on you know, request for credentials. Um, and it's just not getting the, the press at all in the local media that the USA Pro Challenge did. Now, the first year of the USA Pro Challenge was also um, probably about the same because all we remember is the last year where it was just, I mean, it took over parts of Colorado. I mean, it, you remember the, the race was announced by our governor and uh, he who shall not be named Lance Armstrong. <laughs> uh, so you know how long ago that was. Um, Somewhere I still have a jacket that says Quiznos Classic or something like exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was the first sponsor. You know, and, and when they put the thing together, they had enough money that they could go all out on this idea of trying to compete at the world level with a bicycle race. You know, that money because of uh, the, the, the owners of the actual race had financial troubles uh, themselves on a different issue. And so the race then ran out of money to continue the the contract was you know the five-year contract was met but it just couldn't go on after that and nobody wanted to buy it because it was too expensive the race was was going to make it maybe but it still was going to require millions of dollars this race is being put together in a totally different way um any advertising you see anything you see online is all about the party um as i recall tickets to the party i think are 45 dollars um Three-day pass is $120, um, so it can get, it, it can get expensive, um, and, but it's a big party. You know, they're bringing in some good bands. They've got hundreds of food trucks. Um, you and know, who cares about the cycling? It's like, you know, that's... Uh... Yeah, right. I know. Well, I was going to say, does that help cycling, or is it just <laughs> a big festival for the town? Well, I, I think it actually helps cycling, because even if it doesn't do anything for cycling on that level if it pays for cycling so that we get a great bicycle race here mm. who cares mm. well, I, I, that was one of the things that really struck me about sea otter this year is maybe it wasn't quite as overtly party centric it was very much about a complete experience right so riding your bicycle was only one part of it it was incredibly um well orchestrated so that kids had something to do cyclists of all abilities and ages had something to do there were races there were rides and you know clearly where colorado classic is going and where um people like sea otter are going it is going to be what's going to help drive this sport forward uh, on any level so we have to really encourage it and help and get support these yeah, guys so, some, so something for everybody is what you're saying Richard. Yep. yeah yeah that's mm-hmm. cool I would now like to to cut in here and actually go to a commercial break. But after the break, we're going to be talking about some news about Interbike uh, moving their venue. But right now, let's cut to David. And David, are you going to do this live? This this advertising believe break. Believe it or not, I, I it would be my pleasure because right when we talk about our sponsor, you know, we talk about somebody who has been steadfastly supportive of the spokesman and clearly because spokesman listeners have been steadfastly supportive of our sponsor. And of course that's Jensen USA at JensenUSA.com. We've been talking about Jensen here on the show for wow, 
guys, how long? Several years, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I've consistently said the same thing, and it hasn't changed since day one. This is a company where you can find uh, a great selection of products at, in some cases, um, some of the best uh, prices anywhere. But I really think that what makes them stand out is their customer support. It really is unparalleled. This is a company where when you call and you talk to somebody, you're talking to what they call a gear advisor. And I've done this. I've called and I've said, look, you know, I'm looking at this bike for my wife and, you know, she's this height and um, and they asked a little bit about her riding style and a few other um, things. And, and before long, we had narrowed it down to the right bike size. And when it came, boom, it was perfect. Um, or even to, hey, will this component work with this group? Um, they know their stuff. And if they don't, they'll find out and you will get an answer that you will really be able to rely on. And I think that that's probably one of the main reasons why I personally keep going back to Jensen USA, um, because they are just that good at customer support. Richard said it earlier, right? He said, Americans, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like we have the most stringent expectations or the highest expectations when it comes to customer service in the world. I see that in my day job all the time. And again, that's the reason why I continue going back to Jensen USA. Now, if you go there right now, uh, they are having their summer bike clearance with some really incredible deals on both mountain and road. And I think I saw some cyclocross bikes in here as well. And I'm not talking about off-brand stuff. I'm talking about uh, brands like Breezer and Jameis and GT and, yes, Orbea. So if you're looking for a complete bike, or you're looking for a component, or you're looking for apparel, or nutritionals, and everything in between, the place to go is Jensen USA at jensenusa.com. And please, let them know you heard about them here on The Spokesman. And as always, we got to thank Jensen USA for their support of The Spokesman. And of course, we got to thank you for your support of Jensen USA. All right, Carl- Carlton, how was that? That was perfect. Thank you very much. And, and our first live one as well, probably. That was <laughs> brilliant. Brill. Uh, now, I, I, as I said uh, before, we, we had that live advertising break for uh, the brand who uh, uh, David has mentioned. <laughs> I would like to talk about Interbike. So Donna, I have been um, at Interbike where you have been at, and that's always been in Las Vegas. Prior to that, I don't know if you ever went to the Anaheim Las Vegas, did you Donna? I did not. That was before my time. Okay. But Richard then did. I know Richard went to Reno. And David, did you go to Reno? Wow. No, no. But I okay. went to Philly. Does that count? Okay. So Richard. Yeah, Reno and Philly. What about New York? Did you ever go to it when it was in New York? No. no. And, I, and, and I skipped Cabda as well. Mm. There you go. So Richard, tell us before we go into exactly um, what's happening. Well, well, I might as well say it now. Uh, it's going to Reno. It's leaving Las Vegas. So when was it in Reno the last time and what was it like? Oh, God. I, first now of all, I, I, had hair, I had hair on the top of my head. <laughs> totally uh, dating yourself now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though you tried not to. We need photographs. We need photographs. Um, oh, gosh. I was a junior in college. So that was 19... 19- 84, 85, something like that. Mm. Um, and honestly, it's my 
some Heimers has kicked in and I don't really remember all that much about it. I do remember it was a bike show. And at that point they were all very new and novel. And I can remember walking in and seeing all the shiny new things. And we were opening a shop on the UC Berkeley campus. So we were trying to find lines and things. So it was, it was actually quite exciting, but, uh, that was a while ago. Okay. Let's, let's just go around then. And we'll start with you, Richard, and then we'll go around everybody else and just say what you think about I think this jim move to, to reno i feel very badly for jim because he's been left out i think he no, should go first jim jim can, we can come on to jim in a minute don't worry jim will get plenty of time <laughs> richard I'm really tell me tell me what you <laughs> tell me what you no, think it's about me Your jim about me fade quickly by the end of this jim show. has been on the show a billion times he, he will wow he, he's, he's fine means nothing to carlton no okay we I, i'm the boss you, you've got to answer oh. the question so oh, so i what do you think of the show moving to reno good thing bad thing uh may thing what do you think <sighs> soapbox please um i i uh, don't think where the show is has very much to do at all about its success or failure. I think moving it to Reno is somewhere nice and new for people to go. So that's exciting. But I think you have to come down to the fundamental point of, do we need trade shows anymore? And if we do, what do they really need to do and what do they need to accomplish? And, I have struggled over the last 10 years and specifically in the last four and five to understand the true value as a manufacturer of going to an industry focused trade show. Um, You know, trade shows used to be when information was very hard to come by. Um, You know, you, you didn't see people or communicate with them nearly on the basis you do today. And, uh, you know, I just, I still struggle understanding the value of that, you know, from, from a marketing person as me as a brand and, and even as factor, right? I mean, our, our goal right now is to find the right dealers in the United States and get them set up. So you would think that a play, a, you know, a, a trade show would be absolutely crucial to us. And when I come in and I look at the quality of interactions that I get, I get to see a lot of people very quickly but you know, our strategy has always been that success is created is created through having meaningful, uh, in-depth discussions of understanding one another's businesses and where things are going, and that doesn't happen at a trade show. Mm-hmm. I get to, I get to talk to great people like you, Carlton. I'm going to see you at Eurobike here in two weeks, right? Mm, but, no, but carry on. No, <laughs> no. There you go. Point perfect. You're not even going to Eurobike in a, a small uh, for, plane right away. For, for a very good reason. But yeah, normally I would and next year I probably will be, but this year not. So there I'm off my soapbox and um, on to the next person. Well, let's bring in Jim then. <laughs> uh, Jim, you, when you were talking before about the Colorado Classic and you're talking about the Velorama part of it and, and the event part of it, well, that's almost what interbike sounds as though they're going to be doing if you've if you've read the stuff they're going to be doing a festival of cycling it's not a trade show it's 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 a week of cycling 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 in its many different 
forms and guises. So what do you think about that expansion of Interbike into uh, the, the whole town, in effect? Well, I, I agree with Richard on a lot of that, except for one point, and, and I'll get into that. But it doesn't matter where you have the trade show. When you look up at the ceiling or you look down at the floor, you can't tell if you're in you know, Tweedledum, Alabama, or Utah, or Reno, Vegas, or Denver. It's a and we love our center. listeners in Alabama. And, and it's, <laughs> what about the listeners in Utah? We love them, too. Donna loves everybody. Um, so it doesn't really matter where the trade show is. Uh, people complain about a trade show because they can't go hiking when it's in this place or they can't go mm. cycling when it's in that place. I, I, you don't go to a trade show to, to, to ride a bike. You go to a trade show to find out, and this is where I, I understand what Richard's saying, but I'm going to disagree with him. You go to a trade show to find the new stuff. You don't need to go to a trade show to find out about Trek. Trek's going to come to you or Factor Bikes or whatever it is. They're going to try. If they want to sell to you, they're going to find you and sell to you through their sales team. What you go to a trade show for is to find the things that are going to make you money, the new things, the new ideas that are in the little 10 by 10 booths on the outskirts or in a tent or outside or wherever it may be. Those are the reasons why you go to the trade show. Those are why the trade shows are so important. They're the next big thing. Everybody who's in a 40 by 40 booth at one time started out in a 10 by 10 booth. Mm. And a lot of the people in the 40 by 40s or larger booths that we remember from 20 years ago are gone. You know, they disappeared. Um, and, and we can, you know, we can all list dozens of companies that we know about. Trade shows also do a lot of other things. They, they help support the industry. They put the industry together. Um, if you can't go to the Tour de France, the Colorado Classic, wherever it may be, and find out what's going on from an industry perspective, from a manufacturer's perspective, um, find out what's new and exciting, find out uh, new ideas, what's going you know, it, One of the big things that outdoor retailer always used to do is we used to find out who was fighting where to hold on to what land. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why I am a big supporter of trade shows, but I understand the reluctance of to spend the big money that the big bicycle manufacturers put into it. The move to Reno, um, overall, I think it's a uh, not a bad move. I think that you always will need deductible vacations for your trade show to be um, a success. I think that's why Interbike had survived so long because you could go to Las Vegas if you wanted to have fun and write it off because you could attend a trade show. <laughs> uh, the same thing is going to happen in Reno. Uh, I, I know that's I know that sounds funny, but mm. outdoor retailer used to be in Reno, and the attendance at outdoor retailer in Reno never was matched by what happened in Salt Lake City, mm. and and that that occurred in at least one way. When people went to Reno, they went for five days. They may not have attended the trade show for five days, but they were in Reno for a lot more days. People started attending outdoor retailer for two days. They'd fly in, they'd spend one night, they'd go to the show, and they'd fly home because it wasn't fun. And that's not really a slam against out or Salt Lake City. It's just the facts that there's hundreds of things to do in Salt Lake City. There's no lines for or in in Reno or Vegas. Mm-hmm. There's no lines for food. There's great food. It's there to be a vacation place, a fun spot. So, Jim, do you think uh, so they'll 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 take an immediate visitor drop? It's just if you're in Reno, you're going to have less visitors. 
I don't. I think there is just because it, the cheapest place in the world to fly into and to stay mm-hmm. is Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Reno's going to cost a little bit more money to get to, um, and so that could be that could be a little bit of a hit. Um, I think the consumer thing. You know, they dropped the consumer thing this year in uh, Vegas. Um, it was always a, a joke, in my opinion. Um, is it going to work? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, how many cyclists are in Reno or within driving distance of Reno that are going to come up to, to party? Well, you know, there's a large section of California that's close, so that may work there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Emerald Expositions that owns Interbike and Outdoor Retailer and whatever, <laughs> they're a trade show. They don't work with consumers. So mm-hmm. uh, um, if they can make that transition, maybe. Uh, you know, Europe, you know, the consumer day at trade shows in Europe is a little different because you can hop on a train and be there and have a good time. And it's no issue. It's no major cost. It works. Jim, they weren't that successful last year. I can tell you from personal experience in Europe. Really? They were a complete mm. disaster. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was ghost town. Uh, David. Humbleweeds rolling through it. David, do you think it's a good move? You've been to an, an, an awful lot of these interbikes in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, no, I don't think it's a good move. Uh, and and uh, I mean, I suppose I'll be echoing some of the things you've already heard. And it, the first thing I thought when when I saw Reno was that attendance will be down, and the reason is mm. that um, exactly what 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 Jim said. Um, getting flying to Vegas. Vegas is the least expensive place to fly to. And if you do it right, the least expensive place to stay and eat. Yes, you can stay in very expensive places and you can eat in very expensive places. But if you do it right, it is the least expensive. Um, right. Again, going back to my day job, when we do trade shows, we, we, we move them around the country every time we do them. And the one that is always uh, the one that has the best attendance is the one that's in Vegas. Um, uh, I, I get that that the bike industry says, well, I, we don't like Las Vegas. It's not a good place to ride. Well, I've had some great rides in Las Vegas. And as Jim said, quite frankly, you don't go to a trade show to ride your bike. You go to a trade show for business. Um, and uh, I just think that Vegas was was probably the best place. And maybe second could have been Denver mm-hmm. um, because I think that it, it probably would have given the best mix of, uh, of business and uh, uh, hotel accessibility and riding. Hmm. Um, now, what I think is interesting about what what Interbike has done here is that they've turned this into a week long event, as you said. So it starts with, uh, I think it's at North Star mm-hmm. at Tahoe, um, a couple of days of of consumer, which it's not really a bad drive from the Bay Area to get to North Star. I just did it recently. And um, and it's a beautiful place. And the riding is going to be great. Uh, I hope that they get people to show up. Um, then transitioning at the exact same spot to uh, the, the industry-only outdoor demo. Again, it's a great place for it. But that's not incredibly close to Reno where the actual event will take place. Uh, I, I think that outdoor demo may suffer. Um, uh, I don't know that people are going to want to stay uh, around Tahoe. Uh, they're going to be having to drive up from Reno every day. I don't know. I, 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 that that part doesn't excite me. And then again, I just don't think that the that the attendance in Reno is going to be uh, as good as the attendance in Vegas. Mm. 
Donna, you're no, but you're East Coast. So how easy would it be for you, just in theory, to get to Reno compared to how somebody on the East Coast can get to to Vegas? It wouldn't be as easy, and that is one thing that I looked at. Um, Looking at it from an event planner point of view and um, someone who has gone to these shows uh, with a brand is – you know, I wonder how they're going to do this. So they have, as David said, they, and, and to quote Richard, is that they are trying to go for a complete experience here. So they've evolved, and I believe that you do need to evolve any event to make it current and relevant and keep up with the times. Um, whether this is the way to do it or not, I don't know, but good for them for trying. Um, but, you know, as an event person, so they're going to do Saturday and part of Sunday till 2 o'clock for this um, consumer festival. And then they're going to close the festival to trade only. I don't know how you're going to get people out of there. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you how do you do that? I'm not really sure. Okay, everybody out. I, you know, and especially in an outdoor venue where people mm. are milling about and all of that, it, that's going to be very difficult for them. Um, but then I go and, and I do, as an event planner, you do the pros and cons of, of each area, right? And I am sure somebody smarter than me has, has done this but for them. But when I look at the main pros and cons, the pro is they say, yes, there's going to be lower pricing for exhibitor space, which there would have to be because, as you've all said, you think that the attendance will be down. Mm-hmm. So they have to offer that. Um, a non-union facility so there will be less restrictions on what you can do and the cost to move into the indoor space. That's probably good for a lot of companies. Um, but, however, on the on the flip side is that it's um, it's longer. So it's a whole week for these brands, and especially the ones that are going to be at an outdoor demo or something like that. And and that logistics, as as David talked about, of do you put two teams out there? Is one team in Tahoe and one team in Reno? Because somebody's got to be building a booth, which they have every year, but they can all stay in the same place. Now maybe they're separated. Um, they can't go back and forth as, as easily. So you really need two teams of people, um, one to be setting up your booth and one for the outdoor demo piece. That's going to put a strain on a lot mm. of these companies. you know. Um, and the other piece that you've all mentioned is the airport. Now, it might be a little more expensive, and they they tout that, oh, it's direct from Denver and it's direct from Atlanta. Well, that's great, but that's not where everybody's coming from. And when I look at it, I look at it, they say this is a smaller airport. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get as many flights in there. It doesn't matter if you have to connect or two connections. There just will not be those flights. And then I have flashbacks to Friedrichshafen, which is where you fly into for Eurobike. And if you don't make two or three flights a day, you don't get in. So I don't know. I'm sure Reno's not quite as small as that. But still, when you have a smaller airport, there's less opportunity to get in. So for everybody going to Interbike 2018, book your tickets now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did. Tip. But, you know, when I, would go, mm-hmm. when I would go to Friedrichshafen, I would book my tickets in February. If I didn't, I didn't get into Friedrichshafen and I would have to take the boat or the train or it was <laughs> it wasn't fun. So I You take both imagine. by the way, it's the boat and the train. That's right. Yeah. You take you you fly into Zurich and you take the train to the boat and yeah. So um but but yeah, there's gonna be a lot of logistical issues with this event and I just like all of you, I think that um it it will suffer. 
so so Donna, you mentioned Eurobike there. Eurobike is switching Love their Eurobike. They 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 switching their dates. So the the way they oh want to survive is completely uh, moving forwards, jumping forwards to to basically meet the industry needs in that uh, the earlier and earlier um, product introductions uh, from the industry, and so they're just they're just trying to to jump the gun there. And one of the the things that people assumed was well, Interbike might even come as early as June, and. They might go to any one of these these cities, but they thought there'd be at least a, a date change, because you don't you just need a venue change; you also need a, a date change. So again, going round the, the the table here, do we think that the fact that they haven't moved the date a whole lot is is also going to play against them? It, it, they needed to change the date too, is what I'm saying. Is is that is that the case? So so Richard, what, what do you use? You, you kick off. Uh, I think they had the, the, the chances that they, and the challenge that they had was, you know, it used to be Eurobike was after Interbike. And at that point, Interbike was sort of the international show because that's where everything started. Mm. Then Eurobike got smart and uh, leapfrogged in front of Interbike. And that was the beginning of the demise for, for Interbike in, in, in terms of exactly what you said. Everyone wanted to see the newest and the greatest as early as possible, and so that was where Eurobike was. Now we've got introductions and press camps that are in front of Eurobike. So Eurobike is forced to move forward. But I don't. From all the retailers that I talk to in Europe, they don't want to take time out of their shop in June to go mm. to a, you know to it. I mean, exactly. Right. It's like they got to sell them. That's when they've got to make their money. So especially in Friedrichshafen, which is the most ludicrous place to hold a trade show <laughs> I've ever heard of. <laughs> but it's pretty and you can ride bikes there. Yeah. Don't yeah. The, the yeah. problem. And, your and, bike and the Internet yet. doesn't work and it takes you a half an hour to go five K's. So you got to bring your bike because that's the only way to get there. Whatever. So, you know, I, I, I think that the people who are going to go to Interbike are going to go to Interbike for exactly the reasons that Jim said. There's advocacy, there's, you know, creating that core of, of industry knowledge and, and idea interchange. But in terms of whether product is going to be sold or not sold, I mean, why don't they go back to February like mm-hmm. it used to be? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where dealers, even if they're in you know, in I'm in San Diego. Dealers in San Diego aren't even really selling much in February. Mm-hmm. Get the guys, get it warm. Get somebody from, gets people out from the East Coast. They can close their shop down and not lose a dime. That they're coming right into the season. So if there's something new and cool they want to bring in, they can do it. You can really generate some some excitement around your products. That's when we need a trade show. Yep. You, you know, we all talk about where we take our bikes here, what are, who our mechanics are. And if you're, a, no one takes their bikes to the big box cycling stores. You know, you, the people who go there are, are different from the people who listen to this podcast. And if you walk into your cycling store where you take your bike, the, the mom and pop operation, where you know the mechanic's name because he's been there a year or two, um, and you say to them, are you going to interbike? And even in September, most of them say no. Or 
10 years ago, they would have said, yeah, we're taking three guys. And now they're saying, yeah, I'm going to fly in for a day or two. Because they, they're not leaving even in September. Uh, and they're sure as heck never going to leave. The outdoor retailer this year, uh, I saw REI, uh, MEC, Bed Bath & Beyond, and what? Media. Yeah, Bed Bath Beyond was there. It was just cracked me up. But really? you know what? I, yeah, I did not see a small outdoor store that I could recognize outside of Utah. You could put outdoor retailer on the moon, and those buyers were going to get there because that's what they're paid to do. But if you're the buyer, if you're the the, the person who writes the checks for payroll, if you go out and do inventory when the UPS guy shows up at your bike store, you got to have a time when you can leave that bike store and not worry about it going under while you're gone. Mm-hmm. Okay, David and Donna, so quickly, date changes. Should they have done it? And they, the fact they didn't do it, is that a a, a, a bad thing? No, I, I don't think it's a bad thing um, because of of what you've mentioned that the you know the the shop owners they're they're not going to go in June and July. So, you know, you've you've moved the show to a place that's harder to get to, more expensive um, in some ways, and a longer amount of time. But at least you haven't done it in their busy season. So um, I think that was fine. I mean, February would be great. I think that's that that's a good idea. But moving it to July is your bike's going to be in July, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which hello, who thought about that? I mean, the Tour de France yeah. in the in Europe in July, and like you said, and and every shop is jamming at that time. Who thought of that anyway? It's just my opinion. Jim, and keep ho- me out of jail. And hotel rooms um, too. <laughs> There'll be no hotel rooms because that's holiday season in Lake Constance. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and as Richard mentioned, you know, getting into Friedrichshafen is not the easiest, and getting around and beautiful town. I love going there, but it just so um, so. But back to Interbike, um, no, I, I don't think that will hurt them any more or less. And and as as um, Richard was saying, though, you know, all the new or a lot of the new Wizbank gadgets will be announced at Eurobike which will be months in advance, but, and with the internet, everybody will know about them. But I think manufacturers kind of work on a, they don't work necessarily on a year schedule anymore. I think they're always coming out with something new. So you'll still see new things mm. at, at Interbike. David? What she said. <laughs> it, I, I, no, I mean, I, really, I have, I have like nothing I could add because, because uh, look, Richard said, um, uh, uh, t- and I agree. Trade shows have become mostly irrelevant. Um, sales cycles have changed. Uh, introduction uh, cycles for products have changed. Uh, the the means by which brands introduce products have changed. We are we are living in a post trade show world, and yet we're still talking about trade shows. I will tell you, I love going to trade shows. I always say it's like the the high school reunion. Um, going to a high school reunion, except you're seeing people that you actually want to see. Um, I just, uh, otherwise, and who remember, remember who you are too. I just, I, yeah, right. I just think, I just think that, um, this has all become a bit irrelevant and it's, it's, it's trade show producers trying to desperately save their businesses and stay relevant. And let's not forget listeners, consumers. These trade shows cost us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And where 
you think we go to recoup those losses? And I will leave it there. <laughs> I, I, well, but one thing, I, one thing I will say, and you, you touched upon this though, um, David, is that face to face is still the best way to create relationships. You know, even with all of this digital, and I mean, that's my world is the digital world now, but um, you can't beat face to face. And for some of that, do you need five days of it? I don't know. Mm. But, um, but just like you said, seeing people talking with them for the, for the smaller retailers to be able to talk to somebody at a manufacturer, a big brand, um, that may still mean something to them. And for that, it's, it's worth building and solidifying those relationships. You know, I hear you. but uh, why did they move it anyway from Vegas to Reno? That's confusing to me. But when you walk back, you go to the trade show, your local bike shop where you take your bike, knows you went to the trade show, and you come back after the trade show, what do they say to you? Don't they ask what did you, you what you see? Yeah, yeah. what you say? Yeah. yeah, right. Because that's why trade shows are valuable. They couldn't get there, but they still want to know what they missed, and they want somebody not to tell them what it was on the internet because they don't buy that as much. They want your opinion. They know you ride. They know you understand what their sales cycle is, what they're selling, who their customers are, as almost as well as they do some days, and they want to know what you see. Did you see anything good? Did, what did you see? What did you ride? What bikes did you ride? I've had I've had retailers at hand me lists of bikes when I'm going to Interbike to say, can you ride these at the demo and let mm-hmm. me know what you think? Mm-hmm. But but isn't that isn't that why reps exist? And I, I, you know I think about myself. I'm spending more time on an airplane today than I did 20 years ago. Um, for exactly what Donna said, for for those face to face interactions, um, and yet. I just completed a trade show where I spent dollars, um, and I had and I was 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 as busy as I've ever been at a trade show, and yet I'm still getting on an airplane to go visit customers face to face, and I, and I just think that 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 more and more people are doing exactly that. And frankly, what if you what if you the, worked for a company that couldn't afford to send you? They only had twenty thousand dollars to spend on marketing this year. That would that would mean they could send you twenty different places. Twenty thousand dollars is not going to is not gonna is not isn't isn't even gonna pay for all of their expenses even if they get a ten by ten booth at Interbike. But and, it's and, gonna come and Jim, close. I, Jim, I think you need to Jim. Let me throw an idea out for you. Everything we're saying is, uh, you know, we're all saying the same thing. I just think we need to look at, you know, for, so I advise a number of other companies besides Factor, and one of them is Boyd Wheels, and I mean this is a case study of exactly what you're speaking of. Small company, great product. They are the backbone of what's created this industry, right? Right. And when we looked at just return on investment, going to something like the Grand Fondo New York, where they could interact with the end consumer and the shops that were in the area and everybody could touch and feel their product had an infinite better return on investment than going to Interbike. And can they go to Sea Otter? And we were at Sea Otter, and we had a great return on investment there as well. Okay, so so how many of those large regional opportunities do you have to hit to cover the United States? 
No, but I th- Jim, I think what Richard is saying is that by going to Grand Fondo, New York, and by going to Sea Otter, Boyd Wheels was was able to re- re- reap more benefits than if they went to that large quote national quote international I, I, trade show. I but isn't that, that what Interbike is doing? And I agree with him. I agree with him that that the benefits are much better. But the issue then is is you got X number of consumers in that area. Mm-hmm. And did you get any media uh, based on that? And was it anything other than regional? Um, I, I mean, I understand. And, I, and in all honesty, someone came to me and said, should I exhibit at Interbike this first year on business or maybe go to Valorama and set up a booth? And I'd tell them to go to Valorama, you know, because it's so much cheaper. But a retailer once told me that he sends five people to a trade show every year and he tells them if they meet with the big boys – He's not going to pay for their expenses. He wants them to come back with the new idea he can put at the cash register that will pay for their trip. He wants and, them to and, come back with the great and, new thing. And, and Jim, that's exactly that's exactly why this regional part works. Is if if everybody, so in San Diego, you know, we have the Grand Fondo San Diego, we have the BWR. It costs nothing to have a truck with some wheels there and have everybody see it and generate interest. And they would never, a lot of these shops and these consumers would never have had had access to that brand and that product if it was anything but in their backyard. And, you know, we, we track it. And, And so yeah, to your point from a manufacturer side, would we spend more money? Yeah. But the fact is, is we're growing our sales load, our, our sales book, so much faster, it's it's paying for itself, right? So we can actually afford to do more marketing because we're actually getting more sales on the spot. We're lining up dealers on the spot. We have de- we have consumers who want to buy the wheels. So Boyd has an omni-channel sales strategy. So they sell wheels on the spot. Yeah. And, and I met a guy once who says, don't go to any trade show unless you can pay for it by what you sell out of your booth. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. guess I get best Pat Huss, who's the show director of Interbike, has been having these conversations with lots of different people. There's no consensus here on the trade show. They've just had to make a a move, yes. a, a brave move, and we will see whether that works for them in the fullness of time. Uh, but talking about time, we are running out of time in that we are now one minute, one hour, to 10 minutes in. So I've actually deleted some of the topics that we were going to talk about because we, we, we just won't get time to talk about all of them. So but because David is on the show, we are bringing back and this is this is a one episode only, only when David's on. We're bringing back tips <laughs> because David, <laughs> David complain if we don't have tips. Right. So so we're bringing it back. So I'm going to start with David. David, give us your tip. I would be happy to, and thank you for doing tips, Carlton. I love it. Um, this is more of, a, of I think, a, 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 an advisory or a caution than a tip, but I think it's important that people know about it. So we, I think we talked about on one of the recent shows that I was on that um, I have an Apple Watch, and Carlton has an Apple Watch as well. Um, and as soon as the snows, and I got it like in the winter time, and as soon as the snows thawed around here and I started uh, outdoor cycling again, I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to use my Apple Watch to track my outdoor cycling. Mm-hmm. 
And I would go for a ride and I'd, I'd go to the workout app on my watch and I'd trap, I, I, I'd tap outdoor cycling open goal and boom, I'd hit the road. Three, two, one, it would stay on my watch and I'd go. And it would track my heart rate. But what was a really odd thing was it wasn't tracking my speed and it wasn't tracking my distance. And I, I, I called Apple and I went through more steps and more hassle than you ha- can imagine because they, they assumed uh, when I spoke with the support reps that it must be something on my end. It must be something on my phone. So I had to, listen to this, folks, wipe my phone and restore it as a brand new phone, which no. for somebody with like 300 apps was a real problem. Um and I had to unpair my watch and repair my watch and update my software and do all this stuff. And at the end of the day, I was recently told by a senior Apple support engineer, this is a known problem, <laughs> that there are some people with the latest generation of Apple Watch and the latest generation of software and the latest generation of iPhones. I've got an iPhone 7 and the latest generation of iOS for whom the Apple Watch will not track their cycling. Curiously... If I forget to turn off my watch or my tracking after a ride and then I get in my car and I start to drive, all of a sudden it starts to track my speed and distance, which is just bizarre. So why don't Um, you use Strava, David? Why don't you just use the Strava app on the phone? We'll come come to that. Mm, So um, anyway, it's sort of a cautionary tale. If you're struggling with this on your Apple Watch, you may be part of a small percentage of folks that are having this problem, but it is a known issue. And Apple assures me that it is something that they are working on. I have sent them more log files than I care to count. <laughs> um, so I told them I'm expecting, you know, to get a free Apple Watch Series 3 when it comes out. We'll see if that happens. Anyway, just a cautionary tale. Um, for some people, the Apple Watch is not tracking cycling, and I am one of those people. Um, I think everybody here knows why I don't use Strava. I think that Strava is for the uh, testosterone-fueled, um, got to compete against everybody on every ride, uh, got to show that um, I am a better, faster, stronger, um, and everything else kind of a person than anyone else. And that's not why I ride. Um, and the other problem that I've got with Strava, Strava is all the cheating that goes on on Strava. I mean, come on, folks. If your self-esteem is that low, you know, <laughs> it's not for me. But David, playing devil's advocate, you don't have to pump your Strava out to the whole world. You could just have it as... The, the 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 app that is capturing your your distance. Yeah, and I do your, the same. I do the same tracking. thing with Garmin. I do hmm. the same thing with Garmin, or I do the same thing with Endomondo. But the the core of Strava is that social, competitive. Hmm. Um, gotta go. Gotta go. Be the KOM on this climb on this segment, and so I'm gonna get in my car and I'm gonna drive it in my car, and then I'm gonna have the KOM and screw the rest of you people. Okay. Uh, so, Whoa. Jim, I'm, I don't <laughs> wow. know whether you, this is still your tip, but wow. just segueing in from Strava. This is what happens. What this is what happens when I'm not the host. I'm allowed to say whatever I want. You can. We we don't hear this. <laughs> or when normal. you haven't been on for a long time and you have it all built up. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, Jim, is is your tip still the Strava tip, or <laughs> have you been put uh, no, off? Mine. Um, David actually brought up several things, so I'm changing mine around several times. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, Garmin. Uh, if you own a Garmin Edge, uh, they had several updates in June, and Garmin does know about this because I finally got up to some senior management. Um, the updates were trashing all of your sensors and uh, freezing the the um, uh, the machine so it wouldn't work. 
they do know about it. They don't know what they did wrong, but they're <laughs> supposedly, you know, they're working on it. But that happened to me. Yes, the Garmin. You, they send an update, and it would freeze your machine, or none of the sensors worked. And and what you had to do was factory resets. And uh, the other thing that they found that worked, that I found that worked, was that get rid of all your sensors and That's then put it back on again. That's and exactly then, what I did. Yeah, the pick it back up. Um, my tip this year, Strava. Uh, there's a great article on Outside Magazine online about Strava. Confessions of a Strava somebody junkie. No, Strava, Strava hater. hater. Mm. It's it's obscene. And I didn't write it. <laughs> yeah, if it is obscene, I laugh my rear end off. Rear, yeah, it's it's hilarious. You should read it. Um, but uh, I sort of agree with the guy. It's stupid. But he joined eventually. But. You know, since they won't allow my new Toyota Sequoia to get on there, who cares? Um, okay, so the you're, last you're, thing is, oh, sorry, no, go, go, no, go, go ahead. No, I was just saying, um, is that, that yes, your tip is to go to this magazine article, yeah? No, that's not a tip. This is the tip. Okay. So I see a lot of people that are saying, hey, we're going to do this benefit. You join our organization, you join our, our uh, membership, and we're going to ensure your phone or we're going to give you access to personal injury attorneys or we're going to provide all this stuff. Those aren't benefits. You've already got them. Um, Your phone is insured under your homeowners or condominium or apartment insurance. Um, And they know that. So they're not providing that to you. What they may do is they may pay for the deductible you have, but they're going to have their own deductible somehow. And you're not going to get a new phone. You're going to get a refurbished one. Um, access to attorneys, let me tell you, if you need to find an attorney, turn around or stay up late at night, Dewey Cheatham and Howe will be on TV eventually. Um, it, uh, for a cycling accident, though, I do strongly suggest you find a, an attorney that does cycling accidents because they are a little different. Um, so so look, at, you know, look at the benefits you're getting and make sure you really want them. Uh, not that, oh, that's neat. I get this if I send them money. Because most of them really aren't a benefit nowadays. Most of them are just, you know, uh, three-card Monty. <laughs> well, that killed the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Donna, what's your tip? Okay, I have two tips. One I have been saving since this winter <laughs> when I didn't know we weren't doing tips anymore. Uh-huh. And I've held it. And I told you it was an evergreen one, so mm-hmm. I can use it. And mm-hmm. one just came up yesterday. So um, the one I have been holding on to is in the political climate that we live in, and we don't talk about it because this is a cycling show, um, and it doesn't matter who you're for or against or whatever, turn off your devices, turn off your Twitter, turn off your TV, turn off your Facebook, leave it all home and go out and ride. Mm. Just enjoy some of the peace and quiet, some of the peace, quiet, just think about what you're riding by, pay attention to the roads or the, the mountain bike trails you're on or whatever, and just go out and clear your head because it's so toxic, and I think, Carlton, it may even be there as well, maybe not quite as toxic as here. Mm. Again, I'm. this is not a political statement. It's just a go out, take a deep breath, enjoy outside a little bit, and ride. My second tip is, so I've been holding that one for a really long time. Mm, nice um, my tip, nice second tip. tip 
is, um, and I've used this before, so it is a repeat, but it is, it is, um, it was very pertinent to yesterday. Um, here we have the Pan Mass Challenge Ride, which is a big, huge charity ride um, for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Wonderful. People raise a ton of money, um, but the roads are not blocked off. Um, same with a lot of other charity rides that, that we see around here. They're wonderful. I highly recommend everybody giving back in some way. So if you do a charity ride, fantastic. But what I saw yesterday, again, was you're going through some small towns, and the riders going four and five abreast on the road with cars backed up behind them. And all I could think of was nobody better be riding a bicycle in that town in the next week because people yeah. were getting so frustrated mm. by being so backed up by these people that were just chit-chatting and riding with their friends and the roads are not closed. So if you're doing a charity ride, just be mindful of what is going on around you, how you're representing cycling and, um, and pay attention to the rules of the road. Okay. Nice tip. Thank you. And uh, Richard, I don't know if mine so much is a tip as it is a pleading and request. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, do something for the sport we all love and get somebody else involved with it. If you see somebody who's just entering, take the time to ride with them, to coach them, to help them get more comfortable with what they're wanting to do. Because what we all need is we need more people falling in love with the sport that we all love. And that comes generally from a mentor or somebody's uh, close to you. So take the time, take the effort um, to do that. And, you know, especially in group rides, there's always that guy or that gal that doesn't understand the etiquette. Put your arm around them, help them understand it so we can all enjoy it safely together. Beautiful. Amen. So, so bike, bike buddy system. Yeah. You know, I got to thinking, Gail's not going to like Donna's tip because I can't get home sometimes without my Garmin. I get lost and then she'll have to come get me. <laughs> and here's my tip. And my tip is go get yourself, your city, go get your yourself an Olympic gold medal winning cyclist to become your city's cycling commissioner. Oh. <laughs> and I guess you figure... Uh, I mean by that, Chris Boardman, uh, who is that uh, Barcelona Olympics when he won the, the gold in 92, uh, a huge advocate of cycling advocacy rather than the sports side of, of cycling. He is becoming the Manchester in England, uh, the cycling and walking commissioner and i interviewed uh, Chris and, and it, it does turn out that he is doing this as his full-time job. It is going to be He's even going to give up his Tour de France commentating duties, which you get Bob Roll uh, in the US. In the UK, we get uh, Chris Boardman. So he's giving up that to, to actually take on this role. And he also says he's, his walking is going to come first for him. So a lot of people were saying, oh, but he's a cyclist, so it's just going to be uh, bikes. So he says, no, we're going to have priorities and we're going to have walking first, cycling second, uh, public transit third. And he didn't even mention motorists and and cars and stuff so that's that's his priority so there's my tip is is a tip to go and get uh as somebody of stature to represent cycling and it, it you can't obviously do this but you can maybe try and get your city your region to have this kind of figure because it's all about political will 
And Chris said that the money is there. What isn't there is just the political motivation to go get that money. So my tip is go and get somebody big uh, to become your cycling commissioner. It's more of a dream than a tip, really, if, uh, if I'm... If I'm... <laughs> Perfectly honest. Uh, and I'm going to segue straight into how we contact people. So I am Carlton Reed on Twitter. I am the editor or executive editor of bikebiz.com. But uh, going backwards, uh, how uh, can we find out other people? So I believe, Donna, were you the, the, the last person there? So, Donna, how do people get in touch with you? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Donna Tosi, T O C C I. Or you can find me on Instagram. I will preface that with you will see more about my cat and my dog rather mm-hmm. than cycling on there. But um, but you can find me at Donatosi on Instagram as well. No bad thing to see dogs on Twitter and cats. No, no, me not cats. Dogs anyway. Uh, and Jim, <laughs> where where can we? I'm not a big cat lover. Sorry, uh, Jim. Where can we? Where can we find you on on online? Recreation.law at gmail.com or recreation-law. Dot com is the website just google recreation law and you should be able to find me perfect and david i think probably the easiest way to find me these days is where, where i seem to be posting the most uh is uh instagram where i'm simply fredcast um so go ahead and check that out and you'll see pictures from all over the world okay and last but not least our newbie richard how do people get in touch with you? And maybe mention even your your brand uh, URLs. Uh, yeah, so um, Factor, so <clears throat> the website for Factor is uh, factorbikes.com. You can also see us uh, Factor Bikes on Facebook. For me personally, um, you know, I'm not nearly as advanced as you guys. I try to fly under the radar, so... Mm-hmm. You know, you can uh, find me on Facebook at, at Richard Wittenberg. <laughs> and uh, and uh, if you really want to talk to me or send me an email, you can do so at uh, rcwittenberg at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you. And then we have an outro for the show. David, do you want to do the outro? Wow. Okay. So you really caught me off guard on this one. Uh, well, I just want to thank all of our hosts for, for, for joining us today. It's always wonderful to have, I mean, come on, Jim and Donna and Carlton, how long have we been doing this together? Mm-hmm. And uh, <sighs> Richard, you and I have known each other for a very long time, and it's great to have you on, and we hope that you will definitely be, be back. Uh, this is, has been, and shall be the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast for show notes and links, please check out our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. Thank you for staying subscribed. And thank you for telling your friends about the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. We will be back in most likely a fortnight. But between this show and the next, the Spokesmen have spoken.
Perfect. Thank you. See, it just trips off your tongue. It does. It's just, it's just, I didn't, I didn't prep you on that one. It's just, just, you know, just do it. And it's perfect. Thank David, you. David, whatever you're doing, you're in the wrong thing. You need to go into television broadcast journalism. I've told him this many times. Just to spew that like that. <laughs> that is um, like a whole nother level. You should hear me when I'm selling something. It just rolls off the top. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>